0: Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. And I'm excited, actually. I mean, I, not anxious, but definitely excited. You know, it, it's interesting. The closer and closer we get to Palm Sunday and then to Holy Week, uh, the older I get, the more I really appreciate this time. And it's one of those times where we in the Body of Christ have to get real. I, it, for the for the longest time, I spent many many years not dreading Holy Week, but anticipating it with great E- eagerness how about that because it seemed like you kind of it, it's it's lurking in the background there's Ash Wednesday that gets us into the lenten season and then all of a sudden here comes holy week here comes palm sunday you've got monday thursday good friday holy saturday easter sunday and then there's family gatherings and everything has to come together and then it all came to a grinding halt and then our pastor would go on vacation the evening of Easter, and I'd usually get the short stride, after preach the Sunday after. It was always such a a heavy time. And so now that I am a free agent, as it were, when it comes to pastoral ministry, it's a little different, but we're spread out more. We've got a couple of daughters and their spouses and our grandkids living in Texas, and another one contemplating a move, and my parents in a different living situation, and Lisa's mom, never going to change, still in the same house since 1971. But, you know, it's, it's interesting just to see how things change. And yet with the season, maybe it's because there's not as much busy work and not as much activity that I really anticipate. I mean, God's been doing something amazing in the culture over the past several years, but in specifically the last three months. And it's just I, I am anticipating a more wave of revival this coming Holy Week. I really am as we see more and more people of the Christian faith actually living out the Christian faith and going deeper, and in all honesty, brothers and sisters, as we see more and more people who professed faith in Christ who are now walking away from it. Uh, My daughter Kaylee and I were having a conversation the other day. She's in grad school, and one of her grad school fellow students uh, came out to her. He's a Christian guy, one of the only guys who identified as a Christian in this cohort, a married man. And he showed up and said, oh, by the way, since September, I've been transitioning. And just, I mean, what a shock, but we had a nice conversation, she and I did, about the nature of the culture and the nature that we're in right now and the number of people who see gender as fluid. The number of people who have no trouble on the one hand campaigning for and champion women's rights, for example, and at the same time, they're, they're saying, well, yeah, but I have a friend who's non-binary. Um, you know, that there is no gender identity. There's a a woman who's a a pastor in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America who became a a bishop for their, uh, what's the name of the the synod in her area in Northern California. And then she decided she was non-binary and then she was guilty of uh, or accused of uh, uh, saying some racially insensitive things to the Asian community. And it's, it's crazy what's going on right now never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine, and I wonder if you're in this situation too, that one of the most Christian things you could do is to say God created male and female. I mean, who, whoever thought that that would be, you know, a a declaration of your Christian faith and controversial all at the same time. And yet we can't be blind to what's happening in the culture. We can react to it. We can be very reactionary. and, And I hear this from a lot of Christians, but we have to ask the question, you know somebody, who's being impacted by this. I, I mentioned but the, Lisa and I have six kids between the two of us, and Kaylee is but one of many of our kids. Who She has a friend now who is transgender and another one who came out as queer, which I guess means you're okay with the gender you have, but you really don't have any defined sexual preference or whatever. She still identifies as she and is married to a woman, quote-unquote, but calls herself queer rather than lesbian. I don't it's tough to keep up. But then you wonder, why is this happening? I mean, I have another child whose uh, family is really into health and nutrition and uh, you know, the, the, the science behind the foods we eat and things like that. And they were wondering if maybe, just maybe, there's literally something in the food or something in the water that people are eating that's messing with their heads. A dear friend of mine, a pastor friend who got into ministry a little later in life, used to be a drug addict. And he was addicted to heroin at one point. And he said, I, I, I know for a fact that when people take heroin, it changes their brains. And I've seen people's sexual desires change. I've seen their sexual orientation change simply because they were high on horse. And um, for him, having been clean and sober for many, many years, he, that's his ministry is to reach out to people in that situation. So I, I know that there are drugs you can take that might mess things up or foods you can eat. But a lot of it, too, I think has to do with just what's happening in the world. And the world of social media and now that we have, I remember that old, uh, I think it was Bruce Springsteen wrote a song back in the 80s called, there's 57 channels and there's nothing on or something like that. Well, now, my goodness, with all the different networks that there are and streaming services, that there used to be a time when parents could say, we're going to put a control monitor on the television to make sure the kids don't watch the wrong thing. (laughs) That's not happening. That V-chip mentality isn't happening. And when you've got a behemoth like Netflix kind of ruling the roost, what do you do? Netflix had a series. uh, Well, they've got a lot of series that are designed for children. But they had a a kid series on that tried to push the envelope a little bit. Now, we've seen this happen with children's animated series before, puppet series, whatever. The Muppets, for example. Remember back in the late 60s when public television picked up Jim Henson's Muppets and they taught people, you know, they talk about right and wrong and sharing. And we found out a lot of immigrant families used uh, Sesame Street as a way to kind of learn how to speak English. And, you know, you could learn how to count with the cult, Uh, one, two, you know, that whole bit. Well, that's become a big corporate conglomeration now, public broadcasting and how many billion dollars a year from the federal government and the children's television workshop became this big money-making enterprise and uh, all the licensing and it's just, it's, it's ridiculous how much money they get from the federal government and they still have the opportunity to make money on the side. But as we've moved away from public television being a somewhat safe place for kids' TV, now Netflix kind of rules the roost when it comes to streaming services And they actually had a series that was designed for kids that designed an episode that was they decided was going to be a blueprint for helping kids, quote unquote, come out. Now, granted, this is an animated show, CGI about animals and things like that, designed for preschoolers. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'd never heard of this before. We have little grandkids. I'm learning about Miss Rachel and Coco Melon. Apparently, Miss Rachel's kind of in hot water right now. That's for another story. But this is a Netflix series called Ridley Jones. And in an episode of the Ridley Jones series, there's a character, a bison, called Winifred, who is female. And the, uh, the, the grandmother involved here, Winifred, works up the courage to tell her grandmother that she actually feels, quote unquote, most myself when she's called Fred. Now, what's interesting, um, the, the characters involved here, I, I've never heard of this program before. Evidently, the actress and musician Cindy Lauper is the voice of grandma Dottie, but uh, there's an episode we'll put this link up this is from faithwire.com we'll put it up at thebottomlineshow.com and you can watch it for yourself uh, evidently they decided to say that you know here's what we're going to do we're going to take this winifred character who feels more comfortable being called fred an animated bison by the way going to talk to grandma about how that feels better and actually determined that Winifred the bison is actually non-binary. Now this is supposed to help kids remember the drag queen story thing and this that and the other thing this is all just to get kids used to the idea this isn't grooming not at all because remember when you were a kid You know, see Dick and Jane and blah, blah, blah. And every book was all about their sexuality of their parents, right? Right? See Spot Run? Spot's a male dog, but he might also be a female. Look, there's two male dogs that are trying to mate. No, there wasn't in there. Are you kidding? That's no. It was boys and girls learning how to play responsibly and share, get along, and this, that, and the other thing and respect their parents. And now you've got a series called Ridley Jones that has a non-binary bison. And the show's creator described this particular episode as a "quote unquote" roadmap for coming out. The young bison tells her grandmother. Uh, grandmother doesn't know I changed. Uh, she still thinks I'm her granddaughter instead of her grand Fred. I do want to tell her, Grand Fred. The bison goes on to say she wants to go by the pronouns they and them. Rather than she, this is for two-year-olds. So Winifred says, my heart says the way I feel most myself is to go by the name Fred because that I'm non-binary and Fred is the name that fits me best. Also, I want to use they and them because calling me a she or a he doesn't feel right. Okay, she took a masculine name instead of a feminine name, but says I'm non-binary. That's not going to confuse kids, is it? Chris Nee, the show's creator, uh, celebrated the scene as a road map for kids who want to share their sexual and gender identities with their parents. Here's what he tweeted. I realize in this day and age, dumped means many things. Just zero promotion of the episode, so go watch it. Show your kids it's on Netflix. It's important. It's a roadmap for coming out, but also having someone else tell you they've changed pronouns and names. Well, too late. Uh, Netflix cut such uproar from the parents who saw this thing that they wound up canceling the entire show. Not just pulling the episode, but canceling the entire show. Uh, tragic that it would have even come to this, but this is the world we're living in right now. Got a link for this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Life is tough enough to figure out, and when kids are compromised, when kids are abused like this, it does have serious consequences later in life. Ask Jason Grimsley, former Major League Baseball player, won a World Series title with the Yankees back in 1999, but his story of abuse as a child led him to a pathway to destruction that could have ultimately led him in eternal torment. Fortunately, he's received the good news of the gospel, and he's here to share about his testimony in a brand new book called Cross-Stitched. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason Grimsley joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a conversation, of course, about my favorite sport of all time, and that's baseball. And uh, joining me today for this conversation is a story of a man who literally has written a book about what it was like to be uh, just kind of at the highest height, the lowest low, and then understanding what the love of Christ means to him and has done for him. Uh, Jason Grimsley is my guest his book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com. Jason Grimsley, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me. What we I- You and I established before we started our recording here that uh, you are not related to Ross Grimsley, which will make all the baseball geek fans uh, you know <laughs> who are listening to the Wait, that makes sense. Wouldn't Jason be his son? But you're not quite old enough for that. But I understand you and Ross do have a good relationship.
1: Yeah, we do, yeah. I get to see Ross every once in a while. I just, I just saw him a couple months ago in Houston. And uh, funny thing is, him and his wife, um, Bertie, called me son every time they see me. <laughs> They're just a, a great couple. I love them to death.
0: Oh, that's great. Let's talk, let's talk about baseball. I mean, people look at what happens in Major League Baseball, and they think, oh, these guys yeah. make it look so easy, and they get paid so much money, and it's such a glamorous life. What was it about the game that got you excited about it that made you say, this is kind of that brass ring I want to grab when I get older?
1: Um, I just love playing. It was, it was the first game I really I fell in love with you know yeah. I could I could go out with my friends or my brother or if nobody is around I'd, I'd get a bucket of balls and throw them up against the wall mom would get real mad at me but I'll know, I, I just I just I just love the game from the beginning
0: yeah that's neat and obviously you excelled at it did pretty well uh your professional career it's fairly well documented in the book and I don't want to gloss over any of this stuff Jason if you want to dig deep in on some of these these questions please feel free to do so but you got drafted. You're making your way to the majors, and you describe it as kind of a tumultuous ride, if you will. I mean, in terms of having a wild and unbelievable life, kind of give us some of the highlights, some of the lowlights about what happened, because we're curious to find out where you met God in all of this. But first and foremost, I mean, the, the professional sporting world is kind of crazy, isn't
1: it? Oh yeah, it it is. You know, but um you know, I never had. I never, I never thought it was a possibility growing up where I grew up between. Cleveland and Dayton, Texas, uh, Target and Prairie. Uh, my dad was a welder. My mom worked at a bank, and then she was the superintendent's uh, secretary at, at the school in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And you know, I didn't know when we were younger, but we we didn't have a whole lot. We had we had what we needed. Mm-hmm. But um, baseball was just something that I just absolutely loved and enjoyed and played with my friends. And you know, I was on the little league teams, and I was on the minor league teams, and then the high school teams. But you know that was something that when you when you watched it on television, you know you watched Nolan Ryan, J.R. Richards, you right. watched the at the time with Ron Guidry and and uh, Catfish Hunter and Thurman Munson. You know that's just something that was otherworldly, in my opinion. And um, you know when I got a chance at seventeen to go out to a tryout camp, and I knew I threw hard because my teammates didn't want to play catch with me when I was younger. <laughs> and then my dad stopped playing catch with me, but I didn't I didn't know how hard I threw. And, uh, you know, I go to that trial camp and six days after the trial camp, I I got a Western Union telegram and a call saying that I've been drafted by the Phillies and somebody was going to give me a uniform. I was going to be able to have a chance to play in the big leagues. Well, at that moment, I, I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I knew I was going to play in the big leagues. Mm -hmm. There was, there wasn't a doubt in my mind. And I I didn't have the size at the time. I think I was 5'11", 155 pounds when I was drafted. Mm. And then um, over the next, when I got the big leagues, I was 6'3", 180.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah, but oh, um, but uh, it was just, you know, there were times in my leagues where where I, I wasn't good. I could throw the ball through a wall, but sometimes I couldn't hit the wall. If you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I I never doubted, I never doubted myself, and I, I knew I was out going. I was going to outwork everybody, and there, I just. I always knew that no matter what, you know, I had, a, I had extreme confidence in myself. I don't know where it, well, I know where it came from. It came from the way I was I was raised.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but you know, it, it was it was just one of those things where you know when you when you get there, it's it's like a dream realized. But in the same moment, it was like I almost told myself I I knew it, and a lot a lot of the people didn't believe me, but somewhere inside me, I, I just knew it.
0: Yeah. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking about his brand new book, which is called Crossed Stitched, uh, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. I'm always intrigued when you look back, you know, 2020 hindsight, at what players you know wind up you know getting traded from one team to another and who was that guy who was the player to be named later or whatever it was and i know you're good friends with jerry depoto who does the general management shift so well now he's president of the seattle mariners but i did not realize until i was preparing for our time together that when you came up with the phillies had a couple of years there and then you were traded to the houston astros for some guy what was his name the guy with a bloody sock right
2: oh I I mean, your, that's your oh,
0: Heard something. <laughs> heard something or rather yeah right holy oh. cow i mean did what was it like as you're cut are at the indians and you wound up with my angels for a year you're going back and forth and you're watching this guy have a hall of fame career and saying okay well I mean, obviously somebody saw that type of potential in you too. What's it like to a player when you know you're good, you're the best guy on your high school team, you get into the pros, you're playing the game, and then all of a sudden you got all these distractions and some guys really find a groove and others kind of find a way. I mean, you obviously had a career. You played for a number of different teams. What was it like to just kind of keep grinding and out and finding a way to keep landing with another team?
1: Oh, You know, I, I, I never really thought about it that much. You know, it might have... Bothered me a little early on when I didn't think I was, you know, I kept for my shortcomings, I kept blaming a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I was my own worst, worst enemy out there. I was mm-hmm. extremely hard on myself. Um, And, you know, if everything went right, I was great. But mm-hmm. if the smallest thing went the way I didn't think it was going to go, you know, I, I had, I had no, I had no composer
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it, it, it took me a while until probably 98, to really just just sort of turn loose and enjoy playing the game.
2: Mm.
1: And when I started doing that, I went from barely making a triple A team with the Indians in 98 to being the closer to being seven and two with a three earned run average with the Yankees and pitching the world series the next year.
2: Mm.
1: Wow. And then my career, my career just, you know, continued to, to go to get better from there career wise. But, um, you know, going back to, when I was younger and things like that, you know, I went to church on Easter and Christmas, you know, but we weren't what you would call a a religious family by any means. Mm-hmm. But, um, at the age of 11, I had a, I had an encounter and there's, we were at a, a Bible, Bible, like a Bible retreat for kids is just a day long thing. Yeah. And it was during the weekend and on a Wednesday night we all went and, um, uh, Name was Pastor Belver at Calgary uh, Calgary Church in in uh, Tarkey. Then I I'll never forget. You know he's up there preaching, and for the first time I really heard it. And he asked if mm-hmm. anybody wanted to come up and accept Christ. Well, you know sometimes you see a bunch of kids get up and go. Well, I was when I got up went up there. My friends looked at me like I was crazy what I was doing. But I mm-hmm. just heard him call me. You know there was no follow up after that. But I for my entire career and the the rest of my life I I've always known Jesus was who He said He was.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I just—I didn't want to live a life. I didn't want to live. I didn't want to live that life.
2: Yeah.
1: I—I I didn't think I was deserving of it. I didn't feel mm-hmm. like uh, I was worthy. I—I f- I felt I was almost un- unredeemable in a way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because at a really young age, I was—I was molested mm. for about a year and a half, two years, and I didn't tell anybody until I was forty-eight. Oh my gosh. And. You know, there's two things that can happen when that happens. You either become uh, an abuser or a protector. Well, right. I went, I, I became an extreme protector. Mm. You know, if anybody needs to stand up for, or if I felt like anybody wronged me in any certain way, or if I felt like somebody was picking on somebody that was smaller than they were, weaker than they were, I I was the first one in the fray, and you know, I wasn't I wasn't nice about it at all,
2: mm.
1: and that mm. carried that carried through almost all of my career, wow. if not all if not all of my career. Even to the point, um, 1999, uh, and uh, let's back up a little bit, 92, I was in spring training with uh, the Phillies, and I had to go to a Chamber of Commerce event, and probably the single most significant day of my life happened, uh, I think it was on March the 3rd, in, uh, in spring training in Clearwater in 1991, I, I met my wife, Dana,
2: hmm.
1: and um uh, I didn't want to go to this thing, but it was one of those things we had to wear a suit and go to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Her mother made her go with her. She didn't want to go. Interesting. We, we just happened to meet in that room and we got married 11 months later.
0: Oh my goodness! What a great story.
1: And you know, we're married 31 years later. And you know, it's it's. Um, she was a Christian from the beginning. Mm-hmm. She was all, the whole time. If I had, if I could weasel out of going to church and go play golf or go duck hunting, I was I would <laughs> do it. Yeah. If I think yeah. that was going to church. Yeah. But, um, you know, then 1999, I go to spring training with Indians, I mean, with the Yankees, and um, I'd seen the Easter presentation many times, and we went, my wife made me go to church again, and I saw it, and when I tell you, God hammered on me, he dropped a hammer on me,
2: mm, mm. and I,
1: for the first time since I was 11, I really felt his presence, and I just started bawling, and my my wife asked what was wrong, and I said, there's nothing, I just, I get, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. And then I got, I got involved in the Yankees with George McGovern, who's a great mentor of mine and friend, and Andy Patted Scott Brocious, mm-hmm. Mariano, Bernie Williams. They were Joe Girardi, just, just strong Christian men. Mm-hmm. They wrapped their arms around, around me and led me on a walk and um, baptized in the Lake Haramook on April 25th. That was a great day.
2: I love it.
0: Oh, I love it. I love hearing you tell that story and how fresh it still is in your mind and how that newness of life has really been a hallmark for for you, even though there were still some bumps along the road. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. His book is called Cross-Stitched. And as you can see from the cover, talking about a guy who has a baseball career, but the subtitle, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. Got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives.
3: Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash Cover Law. Stephanie Cover, she knows the other side. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The
0: Bottom Line. I am Roger Marsh. We would call his career a journeyman's career because of the number of places he played, but there aren't too many guys who have the... the testimony that jason grimsley does and we've been hearing about his faith in christ and his professional career and meeting his lovely wife the book is called cross stitched one man's journey from ruin to restoration we have a link for the book up at the bottom favorite team i mean i realize you pitch for the yankees in the world series which is it doesn't get a whole lot better than that but favorite experience oh
1: the, my best experience in baseball the one that i yeah. cherish the most yeah uh that was probably game three of the world series in 1999 yeah, yeah, but it doesn't have anything to do with the game.
2: Mm. It,
1: it's uh, it's what happened after after the fact. You know, uh, after after you win a game in, in Yankee Stadium, all all the all the kids, all the all the boys, are able to come in the locker room. Mm. And um, there's people standing up. There's fifty reporters around my locker because I hadn't pitched in twenty eight days, and I got on the mound and th- threw th- th- three scoreless. Came into the third. Pitched the third, fourth, fifth innings. We ended up tying up the ball game, winning it with uh, Chad Curtis in the walk-off home run in the in the tenth inning. And um so my oldest boy runs by and he's waving at me. He's five. I know where he's going, he's going to the video room, he's gonna play video games. <laughs> and then, and then my, my three-year-old John, he's um I can see the reporter sort of moving out of the way and he's snaking his way through him at, at knee level. And he comes up, he holds his arms up, and I pick him up. Pick him up and I'm talking to Susan Walden and, uh, with the Yes Network. Mm-hmm. And she's talking to me, and John, John keeps grabbing my face and want me to look at him. And I just say, hang on a second, buddy. Let me, let me talk to Miss Susan. And he and I'm talking, and he does it again. And I say, hang on, guys, give me a second. And he turns my head, and he looks me in the eye, and he pats me on the cheek, and he says, way to go, Daddy, way to go.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: And I, I just started. I lost it. I oh, just, man. I just... You know, and I I told Susan, I said, You gotta give me a second, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know? Don't started crying because he thought I said nobody. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> yeah, happy you made your daddy right there.
0: <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. What is it like for you? I mean, obviously, that that's a high point. There were some kind of low points with regard to the career and and some of those things too. Talk you talk about you know the ruined to restoration part in the the title of the book Cross Stitch. Talk about some of the maybe the the lower points of the journey uh, as far as baseball goes and how God's walked you through them.
1: Yeah, well, that would that right there, the that moment I was told about was probably the I'm not gonna say the beginning of the end, but it was the beginning of the 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 moving away that whole year actually.
2: Mm.
1: You know, you you have you have a lot of success, all of a sudden you're you're World Series champion, you got the ticker or take parade, you got all the parties you gotta to go to. I did the ladder button, and it all starts to be about me again. Look what I did, you know, and the ego starts kicking right and the next year I'm a little further away and then uh 2001 the Yankees my elbow swole up right before the playoffs and I pitched in one game and then did too well and then I I wasn't able to pitch the second series in the playoffs and then I was active for the World Series but didn't get in because my elbow was still swollen up mm-hmm. but um, you know I go to Kansas City as as a non-roster invitee and I I make the team. Of course, I had elbow surgery in the off season. offseason. I think I had seven bone chips in my elbow that I didn't mm. know about. So they mm-hmm. cleaned, cleaned that out. And I go to spring training, and my arm felt better than it ever felt. And I think um, right before the All-Star break, I had 34 holds, which I don't think anybody had ever done before.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: And um, signed a multi-year, multi-million long-term, you know, a long-term deal. And, uh, you know, the the – the more it became about me, the further I got away. And then I recognized in myself. And then you, the, you deal with the shame, you deal with the guilt and you don't really want to mess with it. You know, why would I, I'm, I'm having success. financially? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having success professionally. Um, I just fell back into my old habits and it was, it was, it was a slippery slope slope to begin with, you know, and I, I would go to, Bible study every once in a while. I go to devotional every once in a while, but I always felt like a hypocrite when I walked in there. Mm. And um, you know, the you know, the more it became about me, the more selfish I got. And my fam my, my family always always mattered to me. Right. There's no doubt I loved them. But I was just a, a weak individual when it came to women. Mm. And it was just like I said, I just ended up falling back into the whole, old habits. Just it, a lot of that stemmed from what happened to me when I was young. Mm-hmm. I don't think I knew what loving a woman other than motherly love was supposed to look like. Mm-hmm. Because when that happened to me, I, I, I did everything I could do to try to prove to everybody that I was as far removed from being weak or mm-hmm. abused or having anything to, to do with being a homosexual. Mm-hmm. I just, I just ran from it. And you know, I had to prove. I think I, I think more than anything, I had to prove it to myself. I had to prove that I fought a lot, um, didn't hesitate. Um, felt like I needed to prove myself to other women, you know. And, and you know, and um, 2006, you know, from 2001 to 2006, I was I, the, the easiest way to put it. I was worse off than I was before hmm. much worse off than I was because now I realized something and there was there was even more shame thrown upon me yeah in 2006 uh, with the with the the Mitchell report and the FBI yeah,
0: and doping scandal, scandal yeah
1: and that that whole that whole debacle that I created you know I just I just wanted to run away and hide like I'd done my entire career I just wanted to put it in a box and bury it like I did with the, with the stuff that happened to me when I was you know a young five to seven year old kid and um what they don't tell you when you're when you leave baseball, whether you leave with a great retirement party and a lot of accolades or you just walk away, you still got this great big hole in you that you can't fill with anything.
2: Right. Right.
1: And I I tried everything I could to fill it with it was, whether it was drugs, alcohol. I just didn't want to I just didn't want to feel anything.
0: Right, right. And Dana hung in there with you through all this.
1: Oh uh, she did. Wow. An amazing, amazing lady. And yeah. you know, there, there, you know, she she when she talks about it. And when when we when we go places and we are discussing things and she talks to other people, she said there was never a doubt that I loved her. Mm. And it it took her a while to figure out that I wasn't doing this to her. Mm. That it was it was my it was me that I was trying to self destruct and me that I yeah. was trying to escape. Interesting. Interesting. And, not that she doesn't still feel the she didn't still feel the hurt or the betrayal or anything like that because you know that's obviously that's obviously there. But uh, 2015, it all came to a head to where I, I decided that the world, my family, my wife, my friends would be better off if I wasn't in it. Mm. And got a I purposely got in an argument with my wife so I could leave. I had an ounce of cocaine five, six bottles of vodka. Went out to my my cousin's ranch and over the next couple of days tried to drink and snort myself to death and that didn't work. And so, wrote a note to everybody, grabbed my pistol, walked out in the woods, cocked it, turned around, pulled a trigger and the gun didn't go off. <laughs> no. God had other ideas. Can't even do this right. That was my thought. Wow. wow. And uh, I said, all right, you won't let me live, God. You won't let me die. What do you want? And, you know, I obviously, they found me about six hours later and it had a total opposite effect. I thought it would have, you know, I mm-hmm. thought everybody was going to be mad and the, the, just the joy that I was still there from my family, my friends, people that I hadn't seen in years were out help out, out looking for me. Mm. And, uh, up. Uh, they, they put me in a psych ward for a little while and then I went to a rehab facility and it was the third rehab facility I'd been to the second psych ward I've been to. Mm. And, uh, when I got out, I was still of the mind that, my family would be better off without me because I couldn't I couldn't get past the shame I couldn't get get past the the betrayal I couldn't get past the always I I just I didn't want to see the looks I didn't want to be around and, and and face what I'd done and um I was moving out I told my kids I told my wife and the day before the day before I was I was moving into apartment, she came to me and she said, she said, Jason, none of this works without you. I love mm. you. I love you. I've forgiven you. God loves you. He's forgiven you. Forgive yourself. Mm. And that, that, that bit of grace that she showed me just completely flipped me on my ear and opened my eyes to the love that, that Jesus has for me. And the, the love that's unlike any love that any human can give you. Right. Right. And that, that brief moment, of that human to human Action that—that that small, not not a small thing by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I, I thought that in my mind, the way I process process it was, I have, I have done so much wrong to this woman,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and from a, a from a Christ like attitude, she's able to forgive me and love me. And then uh, all of a sudden, I just realized how much more my father in heaven loves me
2: Yes,
1: because, because in the, in that moment, I replayed every moment of my life where I, I could have died. I should have died. And the way things happened, the way little things that I didn't think were big things influenced my life in a huge way. It was almost like just a thousand pictures hit my mind.
0: Mm, my goodness.
1: And, and, and it was like, God said, okay, this, she loves you like this. Now you can see how much I love you. Mm, yes. And, uh, you know, whereas in 1999, I was on fire for God when I was baptized and saved. Mm -hmm. This was more like a a slow walk. He said, okay, now Mm -hmm. you walk together. We're we're not going to sprint anywhere. I'm going to get you on the path of pleasing me. I'm going to put you on the path of trusting me.
2: Hmm.
0: Beautiful, 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 and powerful. All at the same time, that the intensity wasn't necessarily that same kind of like you said that meteoric rise to the rush the adrenaline but rather now it's a it's a slow burning ember that's equally present and always driving you forward and has been for the past eight years. Jason Grimsley is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His new book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration, from uh, the back part of Texas to the major league stage of Yankee Stadium and Game 3 of the World Series in 1999 to the bottom. I mean, literally hitting rock bottom and saying, this is it, everyone will be better off without me. And yet in in that moment, God met him. And now you have a powerful testimony. Jason, take the last couple of moments of our time together and talk about your ministry now. I mean, obviously there's the book, but I mean, you've got such a powerful testimony to share. Talk about how God's using you today.
1: Yeah, well, I've been able to speak at a few churches and uh, some uh, men's homes, guys that have lost everything. And I just absolutely love, and and not not only that, I've I've spoken uh, with uh, Bruce Matthews. I've spoken with another group. Uh, his his group's called Search, another group, Toolbox. I've spoken at, uh, at, at my church's men's group, uh, Pastor Jeff Wells mm-hmm. at, in Houston. Um good friend of mine is Chad Robichaud. Right. He's the he's, He just got has a book out, Saving Disease. His ministry is extremely powerful, similar to mine, actually. You know, at his Mighty Oak Foundation, the work mm-hmm. that they're doing with, with veterans and first responders with PTSD. And, um, you know, I've just had the opportunity to, to get in front of of men, not not only men that are that are struggling, but also successful men that um, that 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 are walking with God, but ha- have a huge platform and a huge opportunity to to do so much for the kingdom. Yeah. And I, I I love telling my story and then challenging men to wake up to what what being a Christian man actually is. We're not pasty white, weak. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not guys that shy away from fights. Yeah. But for a long time in baseball, if you were a Christian, you were considered weak. Right. You weren't a competitor, you weren't a fighter. And I believe God made everybody exactly like you're supposed to be made. And we're not supposed to fit the box. Right. He created us, he gave us certain skill sets for a reason. You know, and I, I still, I still know I cost too much. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I still yeah. know I things that are inappropriate at, at not very appropriate times. But you know, I, that's 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 how God created me. And I know there's somebody that when I'm speaking, I'm going to reach. Whereas if at the a, a pastor or somebody with a, a little bit of authority in that area might not reach him. You know, Jesus, right. I didn't I didn't come for the people that were came for the ones that are sick exactly you know that's 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 where I want to go that's who I want to speak to you know and if, if 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 this book my story and me having a chance to to speak to these different groups and these different people has it has has the ability to say to, to change one person's life because I, I figured out that I can't do anything I can't fix anything
2: mm-hmm.
1: but, but I can introduce them to the source that can
2: yes
0: Absolutely. Well, we're loving your testimony, Jason, and we're grateful that you are here and that you're you've got so much more game to play as it pertains to your ministry and your family and uh, what God is doing in blessing in the lives of you and your wife, Dana, and your three kids. Jason Grimsley has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Jason, it's been an honor to get to know you, sir. Thank you for sharing your testimony with us and your time today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate that.
1: Appreciate. It. Thanks for having me. Hey, Look, it's a, it's it's an honor to speak with you. I love the work you're doing. I hope God continues to bless you and just Keep shouting it from the mountaintop, brother.
0: What a powerful conversation today here on The Bottom Line, and especially as we are uh, gearing up for opening nights of baseball opening day today. Uh, great to talk with former Major League player, pitcher extraordinary Jason Grimsley. Uh, the book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. We have a link for the book up at TheBottomLineShow.com, and we have a copy of the book to give away right now. 800 227 800-227-5278. 800 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, Jason Grimsley had a wild and unbelievable life growing up. Some pretty funny stories about, you know, being a player and trying to, uh, you know, climb the, the outside of a hotel, trying to get back in after curfew, like at three o'clock in the morning. But also uh, the fact that he would be, had been married and has been married to a wonderful wife. Uh, who put up with a couple of suicide attempts that didn't work, and drug and alcohol, womanizing, but ultimately him coming to terms with the sexual abuse he experienced as a child and how God is bringing him to a a season of restoration. The book Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration by Jason Grimsley is a great read for any guy, and any woman who loves a guy, who may have experienced something similar. Uh, We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, we're going to take a look at these statistics once again with regard to child sexual abuse, how common it is, and what we in the church can do to stand in the gap for those men and women who were victimized by abuse as children and never really got the help they needed. We'll talk about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. My thanks again to former Major League Baseball star uh, Jason Grimsley. Uh, his book is called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Restoration. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy of Jason's book today. We do have one copy at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 227 5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Jason mentioned early on in our conversation that he had, um, he'd been abused as a child, and that kind of led him to act out uh, sexually, and then it led to drug and alcohol abuse. And And once this did, uh, you know, kind of come to light, he's been getting help, which has been very, very helpful. Uh, according to uh, victimsofcrime.org, uh, the number of kids who are, well, the CDC estimates that the number of children who are abused. Right now, it's about one out of every 13 boys in the United States experience some form of sexual abuse as a child, and about one out of every four girls. Now, if you take that a step further in terms of how many people are actually dealing with this, right now the population of the United States is just over 330 million people. And the number of people who are living as survivors of sexual abuse, and that's a key p- phrase, living as a survivors of sexual abuse, is 42 million. It's around 15% of the population. When you go to church this Sunday, I always use this as our example, you walk in the sanctuary and maybe there's 100 people worshiping. Statistically, that's 90% of the churches in America. For You look at the 100 people that are there and then say to yourself, 15 of these people were abused as children. Sexually. Many of them before the age of 18, but a good number of them by the time they're four or five. And in the classic sense of sexual abuse, I mean, Dennis Jernigan, great worship leader and songwriter, has been on this program. He started receiving abuse at the age of five and it continued on into his college years. Jason Grimsley mentioned he was around five or six when it started happening to him. I mean, these are they are horrible situations to have to deal with. There's no question about it. And I I know that there are a lot of women who've dealt with this in in shame and silence. There are probably more men who aren't talking about it. And you have to wonder how many of them have become violent or alcoholic or drug addicted, left their families or whatever, because they never had a chance to deal with that turmoil, how awful that was. On the other side of this break, though, I want to look at another form of child sexual abuse that is happening in this country or this culture right now. And it's something, you know, we can't prevent abuse from taking place in the home if an adult gets along with a child and they start doing something like that. But there are places where we can prevent child sexual abuse, and I want to talk about them on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Just a couple moments left in our giveaway of Jason Grimsley's book called Cross-Stitched, One Man's Journey from Ruin to Redemption. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and one copy to give away. You've got four minutes and change left to get in on this conversation at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Uh, Jason Grimsley mentioned that he had been a victim of sexual abuse. I mentioned Dennis Jernigan and other people who have stepped forward and said, yeah, that was my story. Um, The statistics aren't pretty. One out of every three girls experiences some form of sexual abuse by the time she turns 18, one out of every five boys. Uh, Sometimes it's very severe. And I mentioned, you know, that there are places where if it's happening in your church or whatever, I know Beth Moore, the Bible teacher just recently came out with her autobiography. She was being sexually abused by her dad who was an elder in their Southern Baptist Convention church, you know, and she said, it was so confusing to know that I w- he was tormenting my family and victimizing me. But then on Sunday morning, he was like elder of the year and reading scripture and praying for people. It was very confusing for her as a child, but there's one place and you see it over and over again. It's in the media and it's the number of people who are trying to groom your children and create sow the seeds of sexual confusion in their lives. I'm talking about these drag queen story hours, that the Netflix programming that we talked about earlier, the Ridley Jones program where they had one of the characters, a bison, a uh, female bison named Winifred who decides she wants to be called Fred. Fred is a they and non-binary because that's how I feel better about myself. Well, that's not reality. But how dare you put that idea in the mind of a three-year-old or a two-year-old? I mean, think back, innocently enough now, think back, I, I remember, being, I don't remember where I was when I had that discovery. You know, we have the talk when you're growing up at the discovery that boys have one and girls don't, but I remember being in kindergarten and it was the first time I was, you know, half day kindergarten, Ocean View Elementary School in Whittier, California. And we had boys' lines and girls' lines and boys' restrooms and girls' restrooms. And the boys were all wearing, you know, button down shirts and jeans and the girls mostly were wearing dresses because that was a dress code. But there were differences between the two genders and we were just having a hard time, hard enough time figuring out that, you know, I'm a guy and she's a girl, whatever. As you got older, you began to see the attraction, the way God, you know, created it. Uh, Either to have friends of opposite genders or, uh, you know, to have crushes on them and stuff like that. So what do you do when you're a kid, right? You know, if you're a girl and you have a crush on a boy, sometimes you think, you say, you're stupid and punch him in the arm. And (laughs) that's, you know what that means. But there was never any abuse going on there. I mean, real abuse, it was people trying to figure out the way it works. When you start introducing the fact to a child that your gender could be fluid, that maybe there's something wrong with you because you're born in the wrong body and it's all based on how you feel, how do you process this? Listen to what a guy like Jason Grimsley said about being abused as a child you are trying to take on something that is crazy and sick and twisted and adults have a hard enough time figuring it out and now you're telling a five-year-old you have to process these feelings your body experienced something that was pleasurable but your soul knows it was wrong so how do you process that that brothers and sisters is child abuse and that is a place where we can be preemptive we can reach out to netflix and say cancel this programming or you can just cancel your netflix altogether when you see a drag queen story hour show up, write that letter, call the library, contact the school and say, hey, look, you know what? We're not going to stand for this because this is child abuse and it's wrong. And every time we try to say it's child abuse, then they come out of their trees going, no, it's not. No, it's not. Why you you? And basically prove that you're right. So I encourage you take action and keep that in your prayers as well. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. We have Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. For those who remain on the network, don't forget it's this week's installment of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You can see us at My Hope Now, and you can hear the first half hour coming up next as the bottom line continues.